Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Tuesday, PFTPM, divisional round week. The first two games are just four days away. Two games Saturday, two games Sunday. Seven NFL head coaching vacancies. Several other general manager jobs also open. Shereen Williams, Mike Floro here with you for the next hour. MDS will join us coming up for the Super Wild Card Weekend Awards. And we'll get you up to date on everything currently happening in the NFL. This still is the crazy time of the year where games are being played, but teams are looking for coaches. No one has been hired yet. All quiet in Jacksonville. I'm told that they're still working toward the possibility of Urban Meyer becoming the coach. You don't hear any other names coming up. They interviewed Arthur Smith on Sunday night. They checked that box. No other discussions of other interviews Monday or Tuesday. They're they're focused on Urban Meyer, and we'll see where that goes, and we'll see what else is happening. Good afternoon, Shereen. How's everything? I'm just trying to stay in my lane today, Mike. Just stay in your lane. Staying in the lane is always the way to go. Sometimes the lane gets a little wider with everything that's going on. But yes, we we stay in our lane and we get you through an afternoon of NFL developments. This one, and we're going to start in Houston, is both surprising and not surprising. Because the Houston Texans, who did not interview Chiefs, Offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy last week during Kansas City's bye. And Bieniemy, the guy reportedly suggested to ownership by quarterback Deshaun Watson at the behest of Chiefs quarterback Patrick, uh, Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Bieniemy now is going to be interviewed by the Houston Texans. The problem is they can't interview Bieniemy until the Chiefs are done playing. So. Are the Chiefs going? Are the te- are the Texans going to actually wait until after the Super Bowl potentially, simply to talk to Eric Bieniemy, regardless of whether or not they actually hire him? Are you going to put your entire process on hold until after the Super Bowl, just to placate the guy that you have made angry? and potentially pushed to the point where he wants out of town uh, because you didn't interview him last week. Uh, Shereen, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. That ship has sailed. That that is over. That is done. I'm stunned by this development, but I'm not because it fits right within the messed up way the Texans are doing things (laughs) right now. Yeah, no question about it, Mike. And, and the, here's the weird thing, too. Like, Eric Bieniemy, as I understand the rule, you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think teams that have already talked to him virtually can meet with him, it's assuming the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl. Teams that have already virtually met with him, if it's a second interview, could talk to him during that off week between the championship game and the Super Bowl. But the Texans would be unable to do that because the window has closed on virtual interviews. So... 
Am I correct in this? Eric Bieniemy actually could be hired by somebody before the Texans even get a chance to talk to him. Well, he can definitely be interviewed a second time by the teams that have already interviewed him once, and that's five of the other teams looking for coaches. And yeah, he he could be the focal point. He could be unofficially hired. We know that under the rules, and the rules need to change, you can't hire the guy until the season's over. And and I'm going to write something at some point on PFT advocating, and this is something Peter King has argued in the past, and I think the time has come for it. Everything gets delayed until after the Super Bowl has happened because it really does create a distraction for the teams that are still left in the playoffs. You've got candidates who are getting ready for interviews, which are necessarily far more important to them and their families than the next playoff game of their teams. As as one person explained it to me recently, when the assistant coach who's a candidate for a head coaching job comes home from work on the Tuesday night before a playoff game, that person's spouse doesn't say, how's the game planning going for the playoff game? That person's spouse says, have you heard anything about this new job you may be getting? That becomes the focal point necessarily. So, that, But until that happens, yeah, these are the rules. And the Texans blew their chance to talk to Biennemi last week and to be able to talk to him in the dead week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl if it lasts that long. I mean, right now the Texans just need to hope that the Browns beat the Chiefs or the following week the Ravens-Bills winner beat the Chiefs and and then they get a chance to talk to the enemy. Otherwise, they, they, they may be prevented from hiring a coach until we get into early February, unless all of a sudden they've decided to hire the enemy, which would make their decision from last week even more ludicrous. It would reflect that they have decided to do everything they can to keep Deshaun Watson but how could you how could you decide to hire Eric Bieniemy when he wasn't even one of your potential interviewees a week ago, and you haven't even interviewed him, and now you're just going to wait until after the Super Bowl and hire him? None of it makes any sense. And I understand that they may be trying to rebuild the relationship with Deshaun Watson, and maybe maybe this is Shereen because yesterday when we were hearing these other names, Jim Caldwell, Leslie Frazier, you know, guys who would come in and be very even keeled and calm, the exact opposite of Bill O'Brien. And so many coaches look for the guy who's the exact opposite of the guy they had. From a personality standpoint, Caldwell, Frazier, calm, collected, not F-bombs, not yelling, not screaming. And, and you know, Deshaun Watson's kind of a quiet guy. They Maybe they thought that that would work. And I tried to poke around yesterday and see if that would work, and I couldn't get anywhere. Maybe they tried to poke around and see if it would work too, and they didn't get anywhere. So they decided, well, half measure isn't going to work. We just better go ahead and bite the bullet and interview the enemy, even if it means waiting until after the Super Bowl. It, it really is bizarre, but it does show that they have realized how badly they screwed up the relationship with Deshaun Watson, and they've decided that it's a priority to try to fix it. Whether they can fix it or not, we'll see. Mike, I'm wondering, did they do this on purpose? In other words, did they wait until this week to request an interview, permission to interview Eric Bieniemy, so that they can go back and tell Deshaun, hoping that he gets hired by someone else in the meantime, or he turns down that request to say, hey, we, we requested him. He turned it down or he was hired by somebody else. But we put in the request. We wanted to talk to Eric Bieniemy. I do wonder if this is part of their ploy here to, to kind of make Deshaun happy. But you, 
anybody can read through this if that's what ends up happening or if the Texans hire another head coach. It absolutely is to just say to Deshaun Watson, okay, we'll request an interview with him and we're going to hire somebody else anyway. So it's the whole thing is just weird and it just plays into exactly what this organization is and has been and will continue to be apparently as they move forward, which, as I've said multiple times, the worst run organization in the NFL over the last year or so that they've managed to just mortgage their future and do everything possibly wrong that they could do. I don't know that I give them enough credit to have come up with a plan like that, (laughs) even though it's a stupid plan. Isn't that the ultimate insult? We don't think you're smart enough to come up with a ridiculously dumb plan. That's how bad it is right now in Houston, and that's what Nick Casario is trying to address as the new GM of the team, Andre Johnson, the first great superstar of the Houston Texans. He chimed in with some strong support for Deshaun Watson and his apparent desire to dig in until he gets traded. And uh, here's what Johnson had to say. If I'm Deshaun Watson, I will stand my ground. The Texans organization is known for wasting players' careers. Since Jack Easterby has walked into the building, nothing good has happened in slash for the organization. And for some reason, someone can't seem to see what's going on. Pathetic three exclamation points. That someone is Cal McNair, the owner of the team. And let me tell you, if I'm Jack Easterby right now, I'm getting nervous all over again because it wasn't that long ago that Easterby's influence had diminished to almost nothing. It wasn't that long ago that the GM candidates were suggesting that moving forward, get rid of Jack Easterby. And then Jack Easterby goes to Cal McNair's house and abracadabra, Nick Casario comes from off the board to be the GM and Easterby is safe. I think this whole this whole push to get rid of Jack Easterby is back. It's real. And he's going to have to go back to Cal McNair's house and try to try to try some other magic spell. Whatever it is that he's using to keep Cal McNair in his corner, it's going to be tested like never before because the fact that they're looking at these candidates, unless this is a completely transparent effort to placate Deshaun Watson, it, it's moving toward Cal McNair finally snapping out of it. And we'll see if that ultimately happens. We'll see if he listens to Andre Johnson or anyone else who's saying that this organization right now is in horrible shape and the influence of Jack Easterby. And this is what you get. Look, this is nothing personal. This is what you get when you give the keys to an NFL franchise to someone who isn't qualified, who doesn't have the credentials, who doesn't have the experience, and who has just been trying to climb and climb and climb and gain power. He's gotten power and he has no idea how to properly use it to lead to a properly and and successfully functioning football team. Speaking of dysfunction, the Philadelphia Eagles looking for a head coach. And yesterday, when Doug Peterson was fired, they immediately, according to InsideTheBirds.com, reached out to Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma head coach, to gauge his interest. Now, Shereen, earlier today, my theory was that Jeffrey Lurie Fire Doug Peterson knowing full well who he wants to hire and knowing he was going to get him. The notion that they're gauging the interest of Lincoln Riley and don't even know whether or not he'd want it, and it's going to undermine the rest of the search if Riley says no thank you, that tells me that maybe they don't have 
their alternative already lined up. Wink, nod, here's the guy that's eventually going to get the job, unless they're doing the best they can to make it look like it's a wide-open search. Because you don't pursue Lincoln Riley unless you know you're going to get Lincoln Riley. And, uh, and look, maybe they end up getting Lincoln Riley, and maybe the rest of the search is just aimed at propping it up. But I, 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 just, I have a feeling now that this was anyone but Doug Peterson. We have to move on from Doug Peterson, and then we'll figure out who the coach is going to be. I agree with you, Mike. In, in the hours after this happened that they fired Doug Peterson, I was convinced that they fired Doug Peterson because they already had a head coach lined up, whether that was Deuce Daly or somebody else. They already had somebody in mind who they wanted and were going to go out and make that hire as quickly as possible. I mean, I know they have to comply with the Rooney rule, but as quickly as possible, make that hire. But you're right. When you reach out to somebody like Lincoln Riley, it's different than, say, an assistant coach in the NFL. I mean, you better know that you have a really good chance of hiring him like Jacksonville with Urban Meyer. They think they have a good shot at hiring, so they basically put their search on hold until Urban Meyer makes up his decision. I don't know where they go if Urban Meyer doesn't take that job. But it's the same with the Eagles. You you have to know or think you know that you can get Lincoln Riley once you go down that path. And I, I don't see any signs that they're going to get get Lincoln Riley. But th- this is kind of a, a weird search, too, Mike, uh, with, with what they're doing. I, and I don't know what they're doing. You know, when you change head coaches, I've always said, you better have a better one. You better know you're going to get a better head coach than what you had. That's the only reason to make that move. So they better have somebody in mind that's going to be better than Doug Peterson. And this really isn't an attractive job right now for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Last week, I said it's Chargers, Jaguars, Jets, and the other three head coaching jobs. Wait till next year. Don't take those jobs. Too many dynamics working against you. And in Philly, too many dynamics working against you. Two quarterbacks, job number one, you've got to have a plan for which one you want. Now, look, if you feel strongly about either Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz, you got both under contract for multiple years into the future, good. But if you want to go off the board, that's going to make it even crazier. And usually a head coach has an idea of who he would like to have as his quarterback, unless it's a true shortlist franchise quarterback, like when Tony Dungy landed in Indianapolis 19 years ago and Peyton Manning was already there. You're thinking, who's my quarterback going to be? And so that complicates things. The fan base, which is very demanding and can be very difficult for a coach to deal with, that's a complicating factor. The media, there's a complicating factor. And just this sense of dysfunction, not as bad as Houston. I mean, again, this is a team that just won a Super Bowl three years ago. It's it's astounding to me how quickly it can all fall apart. And you look at the best-run teams – And they find a way to keep their coach. They find a way to stay the course. And when you have a coach that took you to the playoffs three straight years, it better be damn bad. There better be proof of an organic personality change or just people deciding they hate each other because it's incumbent on everyone. Once you've found a formula that can work, you need to keep letting it work. Because like you said, there's no guarantee you're going to find somebody better. There's no guarantee at all. And and I'd love to know the full story of what happened between Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, and Doug Peterson, because it had to have been significant to cause Jeffrey Lurie to throw out the window a head coach who had been to the playoffs three straight years and had won a Super Bowl. The, the only other teams that have won a more recent Super Bowl are the Chiefs and the Patriots. The other 29 NFL franchises are saying, well, we wish we had a coach that won a Super Bowl three years ago. 
You know what else is weird about this, Mike? Yesterday I was convinced that it had a lot to do with Carson Wentz, that Doug Peterson maybe didn't want Carson Wentz, wanted a different quarterback to start next season, and and those above him wanted to save Carson Wentz. I was really convinced of that. But then you go and and make a play for Lincoln Riley, who coached Jalen Hurts in college, which that tells me something totally different now. Maybe he wouldn't have Jalen Hurts as his starting quarterback, but he obviously knows Jalen Hurts very well. Jalen Hurts knows his offense. I don't know. The whole thing, again, to me, is is very strange with the timing of of getting rid of Doug Peterson moving on because something happened over the last week. I mean, Black Monday was a week ago, Mike, and they made the decision yesterday. Yeah, very, very strange situation all around. And even though Eagles fans should be happy that there is a Lombardi trophy that was made not that long ago in the lobby of the facility, it feels like they are farther away from winning one than they were before they won their first one. The Jets looking for a head coach. Robert Sala, the 49ers defensive coordinator, is having a second interview, this time in person with the Jets And I don't know what the Jets are going to do. I don't know what direction they're going to go in. And I I continue to believe very firmly in today's NFL, all due respect to Robert Sala, you're better off hiring an offensive coach because if Sala comes in and he hires an offensive coordinator who fixes Sam Darnold and the Jets become contenders, the offensive coordinator is going to be coaching somewhere else. That's how it works. When your team does really well, it's because you have a good offense. And when you have a really good offense, you end up having to replace your offensive coordinator. That's something Mike Vrabel's had to deal with. He lost Matt LaFleur. And they weren't even great when he lost Matt LaFleur. It's just Matt LaFleur once worked with Sean McVay, and that's good enough for, at least as of two years ago, any owner out there that was looking for a head coach. And now Arthur Smith has presumably his pick of various jobs. I I just, I would not do it. I would go with Arthur Smith before I'd go with Robert Sala because if my team does really well, I got bigger problems replacing Smith than I do replacing a defensive coordinator that Smith would, not Smith, but you see what I'm saying, the offensive coordinator than replacing the defensive coordinator that a guy like Smith would hire, Shereen. Absolutely agree with you, Mike, and it's a great point. And you are going to lose that offensive coordinator if you have any sort of success. It's going to be one year, two year, probably no more than three years. You're going to lose that offensive coordinator and have to change. You look at Philadelphia, you go back to Philadelphia and what they did. The Eagles haven't been the same since they lost Frank Reich, right? They tried uh, grow. They brought in Grow as the offensive coordinator, and I, and I know Doug Peterson calls the plays, but still, you're replacing that offensive coordinator, and they've done it now. Uh, multiple times in Philadelphia. And it, and it's just hard when you're turning over that offensive coordinator position, whether he calls the plays or not, it's a very difficult situation to be in to turn over that offensive coordinator job. And so I agree with you. I would hire an offensive guy who's going to call the plays and run his offense, and then you know that you're going to be set there and the defensive coordinator is way less likely to leave. I think Robert Sala has done a terrific job. I think he's one of the – best defensive coaches, best assistant coaches in the NFL. But unfortunately, he coaches on the side of the football that's no longer as important as the offensive side of the football. And he may not get a chance this year. Who knows? The Jets are having the second interview with him, and I think that's probably his best opportunity to go get a head coaching job in this cycle. One more quick point on the way out the door, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this. Gus Bradley is the new defensive coordinator of the Las Vegas Raiders, and I mention it simply because when the Raiders sent out the tweet and the original press release, 
the photo of Gus Bradley was actually Ken Wisenhunt. And I say that because, Raiders, we can relate. We get photos from Getty Images, and no matter how many times we tell them, they have people misfiled as people who they aren't. And it's not always easy to spot it because you go into the the service, you type in the name, they give you a selection of photos, you pick one, you put it in your story, you post it, you tweet it, and then all of a sudden people are saying, that's not him. So Raiders, that's not him. And I say that because we, I don't know, Shereen, it's like once a week <laughs> we, we get stung by that. No matter how hard we try, it happens. No doubt, Mike. And I did it last week. I can't even remember who it was, but it, yeah, you just, you misfire sometimes because Getty lists the wrong person with the wrong, I know who it was. It was Nick Casario. I got wrong last week and you type that in and they have on the Mavs, a picture of him in a mask. And I was like convinced it was Nick Casario, and of course it wasn't. So, yeah, we get burned on that all the time, unfortunately. When you put in Nick Casario in that tool, and sorry, Getty Images, look, I got no problem calling them out because they continuously get it wrong, and we've told them, so maybe a little public pressure causes them to finally fix it. <laughs> you get four pictures of Burj Nigerian. Who's going to be using a photo of Burj Nigerian, Bill Belichick's behind-the-scenes right-hand man, in anything that is published anywhere? So, yeah, I, I got burned recently with Brian Dayball. And it was some other assistant from the Bills who looks like Brian Dayball and also looks like Larry the Cable Guy, but that's a different story altogether. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. (laughs) More news of the day. Seahawks GM John Schneider wanted an extension, and he got an extension. We're going to peel back the curtain and figure out how it happened next here on PFTPM. John Schneider, the general manager of the Seattle Seahawks, has a new contract. The guy who was drafted by Schneider in 2012 in round three and who has become one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, Russell Wilson, tweeted the best in the business. And Schneider and Pete Carroll have always been kind of on the same track. Carroll got an extension not long ago. Schneider wanted one. I had heard Schneider wasn't happy with the money he was being offered. Nick Casario's deal from last week. $30 $30 million over six years may have goosed things in Schneider's direction. And along the way, there was that report from NFL media suggesting the Lions were going to make a run at John Schneider and that the Lions wouldn't have to compensate the Seahawks because Schneider doesn't have final say in Seattle and he'd have it in Detroit. And frankly, without getting too deep into the weeds, that's just not accurate. They would not have been able to hire Schneider in Detroit without compensating the Seahawks. And if that report was accurate, Shereen, this new contract means nothing because the Lions could still hire him if that report's accurate because he doesn't have final say and they could say, come on over and rip up that contract anytime you want. Again, that's not reality. That's not the way it works. The belief is that this was an effort by Schneider or his agent, most likely his agent, to generate leverage and to get the deal done in Seattle and mission accomplished. The report was only about getting Schneider what he deserved from the Seahawks, and he got it. So congratulations to him. Yeah, and he had one year left on his deal, Mike. So it was one of the Seahawks part two, with or without the Lions interest to, to get him locked up. I mean, he's been a really good GM for them. Frankly, and you know, you look at all the picks that he's had. I know he's traded away some picks. You can question the Jamal Adams trade and some things that he's done there. But when you look at the Bobby Wagners and 
Russell Wilson's and all those guys that he drafted over the year, even Earl Thomas when he was there was outstanding. He's done a really good job in that role for the Seahawks, and it's the same thing with the head coach. If you're going to replace a GM, you better make sure the one you bring in is better than the one you have. And with GMs, I just think it's much harder, Mike, to determine because you look, you're talking about personnel. Guy, you don't know how much say they have. Who's doing the drafting there? You don't know how good those guys are until you actually get them into your franchise. So in my eyes, it's much harder to hire a GM than it is to hire a head coach. And you mentioned that Schneider was in the last year of his contract. I was talking to somebody over the weekend who made a great, great point. Why do none of these coaches or general managers ever say, I'll just become a free agent? Remember a couple of years ago, there was questions yeah. about the future of John Harbaugh yeah. in Baltimore, and it looked like maybe someone was going to swoop in and try to hire him. He had one year left on his contract, and yada, 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 he signs a long-term deal. I've never seen a guy deliberately enter the final year of his contract. I've seen teams, and you saw it in Dallas multiple times with Jason Garrett, yeah. being forced to enter and coach out the final year of his contract before decisions made on whether or not he's going to get a new deal. That's different. That's the team saying, you haven't proven it to us yet. But I've never seen a coach say, sorry, I'm not signing that offer on an extension. I'm going to finish, and then I'm going to become a free agent. In a part of the sport where there's no salary cap, I can go anywhere I want. And I think the concern is that if you play that card and there isn't another landing spot and you've, you've leveraged your way into unemployment and then you have to wait for the next cycle <laughs> or, or am I going to be a coordinator again? I think that's what it comes down to. And isn't it an amazing contrast? These guys who come off as so sure of themselves and confident and hard-headed and stubborn and it's my way or the highway when it comes down to the possibility of saying i will become a free agent they they blank and they take the offer that's on the table yeah there's only a handful of guys i think that would work for and you know i was sitting here thinking of sean payton if he had let his deal run out i mean there was no question of jerry jones's interest uh, and Sean Payton, we all know that. He loves Sean Payton. He was the offensive coordinator here in Dallas, and he did a great job, and they let him go to New Orleans and become the head coach there, and he's done terrific things there. But it have to be a situation like that where you know you have a landing spot to go somewhere else, where you know you've done a really good job, where you'd be in demand. And I think there's only a handful of those coaches that would be in demand like that, and he's one of them. But even Doug Peterson, you look, he's won a Super Bowl. Teams aren't going crazy to hire Doug Peterson right now, Mike. Yeah, well, and, and uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me, frankly, because before I would hire Doug Peterson, I would want to know exactly what happened in Philadelphia. And I don't think there's enough time to put your current search on hold to find out what happened in Philadelphia. I think you just yeah. punt and you focus on the guys you've been working on, leaving it to next year's coaching carousel slash musical chairs for someone to figure out exactly what happened in Philadelphia. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to figure out what happened this past weekend as it relates to our awards. Super Wild Card Weekend Awards. MDS is going to join us. We'll be back with that right after this.
Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, it is time to take a look at the Super Wild Card Awards. Uh, We've done that every Tuesday, all season long. Shereen Williams, MDS, and I go through Offensive Player of the Week, Defensive Player of the Week, Rookie of the Week, Coach of the Week. We're going to do it now. MDS, we welcome him in. I have a feeling that our three box isn't working today, so it's going to be interesting to see how we work this out with all three. But MDS, hello to you, and let's get right to it. Offensive Player of the Week for the Super Wild Card Round. There he is, MDS. What do you got? Well, I've got Lamar Jackson, who had another double-triple, which of course means more than 100 yards, both running and passing. And I liked the attitude he displayed. He reminded me a little bit of Michael Jordan saying, I took that personally with the way he seemed to really want to prove that, no, I'm not a playoff choker. And yes, I can win a big game. He won a big game in a big way. And I think we're going to see a lot more playoff wins from Lamar Jackson for many years to come. Speaking of a lot of postseason wins, MDS, you're you're one of the best stat people I know. And one of my favorite stats from last weekend was Tom Brady was starting his 42nd postseason game. The Bucs were playing as a team, as a franchise, were playing in their 16th postseason game. It was their first win since 2002, their seventh postseason win in history. Tom Brady, of course, is 31-11 and 11 in his postseason career, and he was outstanding in this game. He had the fourth most yards he's ever had in any postseason game, 381 yards, threw for two touchdowns. If he keeps playing like that, they've got a good chance to beat the Saints this weekend, Mike. Josh Allen last year would have lost on Sunday or Saturday, excuse me, to the Colts because the Colts outplayed the Bills. Josh Allen this year, with the confidence he's developed, the performances we've seen, the growth that we've witnessed, Josh Allen, Offensive Player of the Week for me because he was the difference. With the Colts having 450 yards, no turnovers, they should have won the game. The Bills' defense wasn't great. Their running game wasn't there. But there's a calm, there's an assertiveness, there's something different about Josh Allen than last year. He had that play where he was falling down and threw the touchdown pass. Last year, that's a fumble or an interception. That's not a touchdown because we saw some goofy, out-of-control play from him in the postseason last year. This year, it was special. And... You know, to get back to Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady to thread it all together, something I said earlier today on PFT Live, which I firmly believe, is we look for the next Tom Brady-Peyton Manning rivalry that continues to renew itself year after year after year. 
The fact is there are so many great quarterbacks in the NFL. We're going to have an assortment of great rivalries and guys who are going to cross paths in the playoffs from time to time. And Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen is a great one potentially. Not that we're going to see it every year, but we're going to see it. And we're going to see Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. We're going to see Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. We're going to see Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. We're going to see all of these various combinations of great young AFC quarterbacks as they progress through their 20s and through their 30s. And it's a great thing for the National Football League to not have it all tied up in two guys, but to have a broader spread of great quarterbacks who will have games against each other in the postseason. All right, defensive player of the week for the wild card round, the super wild card round. Get it right. MDS, who do you have? Well, I could have chosen several players from the Ravens defense, but I decided to go with Derek Wolf, who had six tackles of Derrick Henry, also had a sack on Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, Derrick Henry had 18 carries for only 40 yards, which was his lowest output of the year. But I actually think even more important than that, he didn't have a single rushing first down. And when you think of a player like Derrick Henry, what do you want from him in the playoffs? You want him picking up first downs and moving your offense down the field. The Ravens completely prevented him from doing that. I thought Derek Wolf, among many players, just had a phenomenal game. He said after the game that he relished the opportunity, the physical challenge of tackling Derrick Henry. He did a great job of it. MDS, I didn't think the Rams had a chance against Seattle unless they could score a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown. Well, guess what? They did just that. They were up 6-3 to three when Darius Williams does what Darius Williams does against uh, Russell Wilson. He intercepted him. This time it was a pick six, read the screen beautifully, and returned it 42 yards to the end zone, which was the key play in that game. And guess what? DK Metcalf couldn't chase him down either. Take that, Buda Baker. But he's intercepted Russell Wilson three times this season. He had five total interceptions. Three of them came against Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson needs to quit throwing against him, no touchdowns against him, and a 26.5 passer rating when throwing at Darius Williams this year. So next year, Russell Wilson picks somebody else, maybe Jalen Ramsey instead of Darius Williams. I'm not nearly as enthused about college football as I used to be for a variety of reasons that aren't really a we don't have time for me to get into it here. And this year with the pandemic and all that, I cared about it even less. But I'm a supporter of West Virginia great Carl Joseph, who was disappointing during his early career with the Raiders. He was a first-round draft pick. Getting his second life with the Browns, I think I made him a defensive player of the week at some point during the regular season. I've made him the defensive player of the week for the wild card round. Right place, right time, right attitude, right mindset to go get the ball when Marquise Pouncey snapped it past Ben Roethlisberger on the first play from scrimmage on Sunday night. It's almost like Roethlisberger and James Conner didn't want to run into each other. Nobody committed to go get the ball. In a moment like that, if confusion and chaos, you just go get the ball. And that was the first domino that triggered that 28 nothing outburst by the Browns. They held on. I think if there would have been another 15 minutes in the game, the Steelers may have caught the Browns. But Joseph started that that landslide, and he deserves credit for getting on the ball when others were wondering what in the hell was going on. So congratulations to Carl Joseph. It's time for the rookie of the Super Wild Card round. MDS, who you got? Well, we don't often talk about kickers in our weekly awards, but I wanted to mention Bill's kicker, Tyler Bass, who went two for two on field goals, one from 46 yards, one from 54 yards. You know, Bass was a sixth-round draft pick, 
drafting a kicker is always a little risky, but when you're the Bills and you're drafting a kicker, what you are thinking is, is this a guy who's going to make a 54-yarder on a cold and windy day in Buffalo in the playoffs if we need him to? And Bass answered that question. That that was why you use a draft pick on a kicker, Tyler Bass's game this weekend. MDS, I said that the Rams needed a defensive touchdown. They also needed a good running game with the quarterback situation, as it were. John Wolford, of course, left in the first quarter after being hit in the neck and head area. And then after that, Jared Goff came in with his injured thumb. And Cam Akers was the answer to that offense. Outstanding game by the rookie. 28 carries, 131 yards, and a touchdown. He also had two catches for 45 yards. Just really did uh, an outstanding job in his first playoff game, Mike. Patrick Queen, the Ravens linebacker, the guy from LSU who's had a very, very good season. Not good enough to be Defensive Rookie of the Year because that's Chase Young's award. But I go back to what MDS was saying as it relates to Derek Wolf and the Ravens' defense and having those linebackers who were able on the interior portion of the scrum get to the hole and help get Derek Henry on the ground, even though Queen only had two tackles, clogging things up and making it impossible for Henry to get ahead of steam. That's the flaw in his game. He needs two or three steps before he's at full capacity. So you swarm and you get to him and you plug those lanes and you keep him from getting to a spot where he has the momentum to either run through you or run around you. And Patrick Queen was a big part of that team effort aimed at shutting down Derrick Henry and delivering the Ravens to the divisional round. All right, Coach of the Week, Super Wild Card Round Edition. MDS, you're up. Well, Alex Van Pelt took over offensive play calling with Kevin Stefanski watching the game from home, and I thought Van Pelt did a great job. And what I particularly liked is he didn't get overly conservative. It would have been tempting. You're an assistant coach taking over for the head coach. You don't want to screw anything up. It would have been so tempting to say, okay, we've got an early lead. Let's just sit on the ball go nice and conservative. They didn't do that. They were still taking some shots, and they ended up needing more than the 28 points they had in the first quarter. I thought Alex Van Pelt did a phenomenal job of keeping that offense rolling all game. You're absolutely right, MDS. And I was trying to figure out if they could just run the ball the rest of the way, if they could run out the clock, but they weren't conservative. My choice is Sean McVay, so I think I've got the slot machine Rams because it's my third Ram of the day. But you know, <laughs> on Sean McVay, you can question his you can question his quarterback choice, and and I'm sure that's been done all over the world, probably even by Jared Goff. You can question why he didn't have a third quarterback on the roster with his number two quarterback, Jared Goff, banged up. But you can't question his success, and he has been very successful since he's been with the Rams, uh, four seasons, three postseason appearances, and just done an outstanding job. He's never had a losing record, and he did a very good coaching job in a game this weekend that nobody gave them a chance to win with their quarterback situation as it was. Well, we complete the slot machine with the Ravens from Derek Wolf to Patrick <laughs> Queen to the guy who was in charge of the victory that the Ravens got. And look, th- this was... I think a very difficult spot for John Harbaugh because they'd lost to the Titans convincingly 
in the divisional round last year at home. They lost to the Titans at home in the regular season in overtime, and there was that whole issue with John Harbaugh approaching Titans players like A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown told me after the game, I didn't know what was going on. A coach is going to approach players like he wants to fight, and then he gets into it with Mike Vrabel, and Mike Vrabel, very dismissive, go coach your team, go coach your team. You know, Harbaugh had to strike the right balance, get the right attitude, not be too emotional, and also go into Nashville as the favorite. That was a huge benefit for the Titans when it comes to the standpoint of developing a chip on your shoulder. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're the better team. We're the higher seed. We've beaten these guys twice, and we're the underdogs. Harbaugh got past it, pulled it all together, and got the Ravens to focus and also presided over that effort that came up with the right plan for shutting down Derrick Henry to the point where if I'm the Jaguars, the Texans, the Colts next year, that's my blueprint for trying to slow down Derrick Henry. If I'm anybody who plays the Titans in the future, that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to mimic what the Ravens did because I need to get to Derrick Henry and knock him off his feet before he can kill me. The Ravens pulled that off. Easier said than done, but they pulled it off. And because of that, they're moving on. And they have a very good chance, I think, to beat the Bills coming up on Saturday night. All right, let's take a break. MDS, we say thank you to you. He gets into the big box for the final minute. We were debating who was going to get the big box because we get to do the three box. MDS wins the day. He gets the big box. We're going to take a break. We'll answer your best questions when PFTPM continues on this Tuesday afternoon right after this. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Jeopardy years ago, even though my wardrobe outfit wasn't the greatest choice. No, no, it doesn't matter. Everybody's dress is very bad on that show. They're, they're doing some uh, some guest hosting spots, and it's going to be released here pretty soon, but I have the opportunity to do one of those. Let's oh. go! Aaron Rodgers telling Pat McAfee earlier today that he will be guest hosting Jeopardy. They're in a tough spot with that show. Who in the world is going to follow Alex Trebek? And they're working their way through the final episodes now before he passed to pancreatic cancer recently. I, I, I Maybe you just permanently do guest host. I don't think anyone can do justice to that job the way that Alex Trebek did it for so long. But it got us thinking, Shireen. Matt Borzello, 
Happy birthday, Matt, by the way. He had a suggestion for us to ponder. NFL players or figures, past or present, that would make for a great Jeopardy host. Who, who comes to mind for you? Well, I started thinking about the commercials, Mike, and who's good in the commercials. There's no one better in commercials. We remember the Saturday Night Le- Night episode uh, with Peyton Manning. I think Peyton Manning easily is number one on this list. But if I'm going to pick a current player, and I got myself in trouble earlier in the year when I said Baker Mayfield was better, had, had more commercials than wins in the NFL, I, I probably have to reel <laughs> that back in now. <laughs> but I would, I would take Baker Mayfield. I think he's, he's done a great job on the commercials. They're funny. I enjoy watching them. I think he'd be fantastic as a host of that show. You started talking about commercials, and I thought of the old Miller Lite commercials with John Madden. And John, wouldn't John yeah. Madden be awesome? Yeah, as he'd be the great. host of Jeopardy, <laughs> he would be great. I th- I thought of Gronk because it would be fun to watch Gronk trying to actually read the clues, holding yeah. the cards up to his face, and asking for help on pronouncing various names. So there'd be a lot of great, colorful personalities that could pull it off. It's going to be a challenge for Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be a challenge for anybody to do that job because it's not as easy as it looks, and part of the greatness of Alex Trebek was making it look as easy yeah. as he did. The good thing is it's not live. So they can have as many takes and jump cuts as they need to try to prop up the performance of the host. But could you imagine someone trying to pull that off live? That would be almost impossible to do. All right, let's answer some questions. At Vamos for Ramos, if Big Ben retires and Deshaun Watson really wants out of Houston, what about Deshaun Watson, Shireen, to the Pittsburgh Steelers? Your reaction to that? I think it'd be great for the Steelers, but I don't see the Texans doing that. You look at the two big trades they made, and that was sending DeAndre Hopkins. They sent him to Arizona, an NFC team, and they sent Dwayne Brown to Seattle. Uh, Jadavion Clowney also went to Seattle. So, you know, I don't think the Texans are are dumb enough to trade (laughs) Deshaun Watson, but I didn't think they were dumb enough to trade DeAndre Hopkins either. Yeah, (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) So it's not going to surprise me if they trade him. I will be surprised if they trade him to an AFC team. Having said all that, when you look at the top of the draft, you want to pick that's higher than the Steelers. And when you look at the top of the draft, it's all AFC teams. When you consider what the Texans are currently doing to try to repair the relationship, it shows me that they are taking it seriously, that they are scrambling to try to repair it, and they know it's untenable for them to proceed with a quarterback who doesn't want to be there. Whether he withholds services or whether he holds in, where he just shows up and says, hey, I just work here. I'm not showing up early. I'm not staying late. I'm not going to be the leader of the team. I'm not going to be part of management. I'm just a player like anybody else, like the long snapper, the kicker, the running back, the the left guard. That's all I am. I, either way, it's not sustainable for the Texans. And the mere fact that we're hearing that Eric Bieniemy is going to get interviewed for the job eventually tells me the Texans are trying to fix this because they know they can't win. I had somebody suggest to me over the weekend that the Texans should just play hardball with him and say, if you want to sit, go ahead and sit like Mike Brown did with Carson Palmer 10 years ago. It's not going to work because he's not going to cave if he's decided he doesn't want to be there. And that's the thing. These efforts may be too late if he's decided he doesn't want to be there. The Steelers would make sense if if they are the team that – Of the teams that Deshaun Watson will play for, there's going to be a subset of the other 31 teams that he'll say yes to. That's what you do if you're the Texans. You figure out from Deshaun Watson who are the the teams you'll play for. 
and then you have an auction of those teams and you drive up the price as high as you can and that's how it how it would play out and if if you have a top 10 pick and you're one of the teams Deshaun Watson will play for, you're more likely to be the team that Deshaun Watson lands with. And you're right, Shereen, not having a top 10 pick will make it harder for the Steelers to win that auction if it comes to it. I, I, you know, some of these Twitter handles I can't quite make out. Inquiedici, I think, is how you would pronounce this if it were actually a word. Is Matthew Stafford a better deal overall for a quarterback-needy contender than Deshaun Watson? You don't have to give up the farm for him, and you'd get a good slinger, gunslinger for at least five years. Washington, maybe. First question with Matthew Stafford is, what does he want? What does the new regime in Detroit want? It's premature for now. It could be that the new group that comes in says, we love Matthew Stafford, and it could be that Matthew Stafford says, "We lo- I love this new regime. I have a feeling that's not where it's going to land, but Shireen, a compelling potential franchise quarterback, a guy who's had not much success because of the team around him, could he be the answer for someone, and could he be a better option than Deshaun Watson? I don't know if he's a better answer than Deshaun Watson, but he certainly would take less in compensation uh, than Deshaun Watson would. I think Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback, but Matthew Stafford, you know, I think he's serviceable. I I think he's probably better with where he is in his career than Phillip Rivers is. And so you look at a team like Indy that's ready to win now that went out and got Phillip Rivers as a bridge quarterback. Maybe Matthew Stafford is the answer in Indy or a place like that that is ready to win now. Washington was mentioned. That, that's a place that's obviously ready to win now. If, if they've decided that any of these quarterbacks aren't their quarterback of the future, he'd be a perfect fit there. I think he can win somewhere that's, that's a team that has a good defense and a good running game, Mike, and a good offensive line. Injuries, to me, still are a question with him, though. He's, he's been banged up in his career. Well, and, and here's how I look at it. Something's not right with the body of work, the experience, the 12 years for or 11 years for Matthew Stafford in Detroit. And I, I boil it down to this. I, I, if, if he wasn't okay with this dysfunction that's permeated his time with the team, he should have gotten out by now. There's just some defect there. I'm having a hard time articulating it, but my point is this. If this was Peyton Manning who had been mired in all this dysfunction in Detroit, he would have done something about it to either make it better or get the hell out of there. If it was Tom Brady, he would have done something to make it better or get the hell out of there. Matthew Stafford has done nothing to make it better or get the hell out of there between 2009 and today. So some of this is on him, Shireen. I don't know if it's content to get the money he's gotten or, hey, I just throw footballs. I don't care about whether or not we win. There's something there that bugs me that makes me think he's going to take that attitude with him to his next team. And the next team better have that leadership from others in the locker room and the kind of coach that can push the team through because there's something missing about Matthew Stafford, the quarterback slash leader. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. And in, in the last couple of years, I've picked Detroit as a wild card playoff team because I thought they were ready to take that next step. I thought they were ready to contend, uh, at least for a playoff spot, if not 
for more than that, and they haven't done that. And that falls, Mike, squarely on the shoulders of the quarterback. Whether it's injuries, whether it's making mistakes, whatever it is, Matthew Stafford has not gotten that team where it needs to go. And he's a big reason why they are where they are, which is what they're looking for another head coach. He's a coach killer, frankly, with all the coaches they've gone through because he can't take that next step. I'm going to skip down to the question that I see here from John Haley, 94. I really like this question. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and Sam Darnold, also Lamar Jackson, just finished their third regular seasons and are eligible for contract extensions. You've advocated in the past locking guys up as soon as possible. Do their teams extend them now, or are they scared from the Jared Goff, Carson Wentz experiences? Let me clarify my position. My position is once you know it's your guy, once you believe it's your guy, you lock him up. The Eagles believed and knew that Carson Wentz was their guy. They locked him up. It just so happened that unprecedented, it fell apart, and they still think he can turn it around. Jared Goff, I wouldn't have paid. Jared Goff, in my mind, would have been the first guy to hear, thank you, no thank you, we're going to finish your contract, and then we're going to move on. Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota got that treatment from their teams. We'll finish the contract, and we're moving on. You're not getting a second contract. So, Josh Allen, yes. Baker Mayfield, maybe I wait a year. Sam Darnold, I'm letting it play out, right? Sam Darnold, I want to see how it goes under a new head coach, Shereen. Agreed with you. I agree with you on all of those, Mike. I'm getting Josh Allen locked up right now, though, because the price of poker is only going to go up as you go along in this thing. Josh Allen has proven he's a franchise quarterback. Do it now, or you're going to get yourself in a Dak Prescott situation. And frankly, I mean, you could do it right now. Now, the problem is they don't know what the salary cap's going to be for next year, so it makes it hard to structure a contract. But remember, the window opens, and there are people who have high-paying jobs in the NFL who don't know this. The window opens when the third regular season ends, not when the third postseason ends. For Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, in theory, you could sign them right now. I don't think this is a good year to do it because of the capturing, but one of these days a team's going to do it. Right after the, the regular season ends and before the playoffs, they're going to give their guy his reward. Uh, yeah, and, and we haven't seen it yet. I think we will see it at some point, but we better see it pretty quick with Josh Allen. Yeah, absolutely, and he deserves every penny that he gets. And like we said, the longer they wait, the more expensive it's going to be. That's it for this edition of PFTPM. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great evening. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.